Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 626 with Steve Dalton. Oh boy. If you are in the job hunt or have a friend who is, please share this with him or her. Uh, This is so good. I think Steve may very well be quite possibly the most systematic, detailed, step-by-step, this is how you do this type of guest that we've, we've ever had. And the this is specifically make interviews appear for you. So it's really rich stuff. I recommend you listen, you share it with someone who's considering making a job switch, or you just tuck this away in your personal note system for when the time comes. It is gold. So you'll learn one, how to generate 40 target employers in 40 minutes. Two, three effective ways to reach out to potential advocates. And three, the six crucial elements of the 75-word networking emails. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, drop on by awesome at your job.com slash EP six, two, six other cool resources. We have on awesome at your job.com include the gold nugget email summaries. Most of these you can read in about two or three minutes. Uh, the one we wrote for Steve Dalton, because it's so jam packed is a bit longer, but it's, it's a great written visual reference that you may very well want to review. So that's called the gold nuggets at awesome at your job.com has a summary write-ups of each interview. And you can access the whole vault of all 626 guests if you drop on by there. Anyway, here's Steve's story. Steve Dalton is a senior career consultant and program director for Duke University's full-time MBA program. He holds his own MBA from the same institution and a chemical engineering degree from Case Western Reserve. Steve is also the founder of Contact to Colleague, a corporate trading firm that helps organizations increase retention, drive sales, and develop internal expertise by teaching their employees to proactively and systematically build better professional relationships. Big thanks to Steve for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Steve. Steve, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom. Uh, But first, I want to hear, you consumed zero carbs for a six-year period of time. Why and how and what happened here? Uh, (laughs) Desperate times, desperate measures. This was right around when I'd finished writing the two-hour job search. I pulled my hamstring, an avid soccer player, and was still eating like I was playing soccer all the time and packed on uh, some pounds pretty quickly. 
Uh, so drastic measures had to be put in place. I had just finished reading The 4-Hour Body by Tim Ferriss, who walks through kind of his, his kind of slow-carb plan and took off a bunch of weight right away. But I loved how binary his diet was. There was stuff you could eat and stuff you could not eat. And the stuff you could eat, you could eat in any quantity. So it was very simple. There was no food anxiety. And then you had a cheat day every day, every week waiting for you on Saturdays, mm-hmm. which was the most glorious day ever, every week. Christmas every week, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and so then with zero carbs, I mean, don't you just feel miserable? Initially, yes. But then you get it, uh, <laughs> then you get used to not having sugar rushes and crashes. You just your whole affect mellows out. I liked it so much that even after I lost the weight in the first three months, I decided to stay on it for six years just because I liked how much simpler it made living and uh, food decisions. Okay. Well, so so you like simplicity and you, you talked about the four-hour body and we're talking about your book, The Two-Hour Job Search. Uh, now, that also seems too good to be true. What exactly is it that we're able to accomplish in two hours of job searching? Great question. And this is something that people get wrong. Sometimes they think the two-hour job search, I'll have a job in two hours or the two-hour job search. I need to do two hours of job searching every night. It's neither of those things. It's the amount of time that it would take you starting from scratch If your boss tells you, Steve, you're fired, start looking for a job right now. If it is 5 p.m., by 7 p.m., you will be done for the day. Any additional effort would be extraneous. Any less effort would be insufficient. But in that two hours, you can structure a strategic job search from scratch, come up with an adequate list of targets, put them into a logical order of attack, and initiate your first batch of outreach. After that first two hours, you simply need the help of others to make any further progress. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there we have it. So well, well, let's dig into, into, into all of that. So then, so we are get, figuring out what we're after, the targets, we're doing the outreach. And, and then after that, we have to start talking to other humans to, to get some, some insights and input and, and uh, to see where the path unfolds, huh? Yes. Nothing is arbitrary, period. But after that first two hours, the amount of work you do in a given day is truly driven by your response rate back from the people that you reach out to. And there's if and then statements for every step of the process from that point forward. I can give exact instructions after that first two hours. And even for the first two hours, the majority of that two hours will be implementing instructions rather than creatively curating a bunch of tips. It's more like a recipe than a list of ingredients. Okay, sure thing. All right, well, well could you maybe start us off by telling us uh, an inspiring story of someone who followed this process and, and saw good things happen? I think my favorite story of this, uh, of someone implementing this process, uh, this uh, attendee at one of my sessions had applied for a job online and didn't hear back right away. So he he heard about this book, picked it up, and, and started following the two-hour job search process. Uh, so he reached out to uh, a, a contact at a company, did an informational meeting. That led to a referral to another person who did a screening interview, which he passed, got to the second round interview, got to the final interview, got the offer, and got the phone call from the company. And he was delighted. The day after, and the whole process took him about a month or a month and a half, the day after he got his phone call offer, he got the automated email response from the company's website saying, I'm sorry, uh, there's no match for you right now. We'll keep your resume in our database for future reference. He was two entirely different candidates, despite being the same exact person. Just when you go through online job postings, you are a different candidate fundamentally than when you take an advocacy-based job search approach. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, well, that's quite the distinction. Please unpack that. So advocacy-based versus online how do each of them look, sound, feel, and practice? I equate the 
modern online job posting job searches fishing for fish in a poorly stocked pond, where if you spend eight hours fishing today and you don't catch anything, you are no closer to catching a fish tomorrow when you go back out towards that lake and start fishing mm-hmm. over again. You start over again. Uh, it's, it's a raffle ticket that didn't pay off, so you have to buy more raffle tickets. I equate the two-hour job search, or, or more generally an advocacy-based job search, to fishing for lobster. Lobster don't swim up to hooks, so you buy cages that you bait and you check the cages every day or two to see if you caught anything. Now, you never know with certainty that any particular lobster cage will ever catch you a lobster, but you do know with certainty the more cages that you have baited in the water, the better your odds are of catching a lobster eventually. So your odds improve over time. Eight hours spent procuring or creating cages and checking on them in the water, uh, your odds of catching that lobster go up over time, as opposed to being just eight hours spent furiously marching in place like that same amount of time spent applying online to job postings. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then walk us through here. So two hours, we're, we're buckling down, we're, we're making it happen, we're gonna make some cages and bait them and set them. What are we doing? First thing is we gotta come up with an adequate consideration set. I'm a big TV nut. I'm also very sensitive to awkwardness. So, But I do like to start off my talks and, and use this analogy in the book of The Bachelor. Uh, the TV show, the TV phenomenon, it's much better to be the bachelor on The Bachelor than one of 25 contestants vying for The Bachelor. Oh, absolutely. Like The Bachelor <laughs> got on a show called The Bachelor. Hats off to you, sir. That's well played. I don't understand why a woman would go on that show or why a guy would go on The Bachelorette, though, because supply is restricted, demand is stimulated, there's an opportunity cost, you got to give up several months of normal dating. There's so much bad about that. So step one is taking yourself out of that one of 25 contestants over and over and over mindset. And the way that you do that is you come up with an adequate consideration set. We brainstorm many employers. When people don't have a systematic way to brainstorm target employers, they tend to just come up with the the first few that come to mind. And that becomes the entirety of their list. But that doesn't take away what I call artificial desperation. Artificial desperation is where you have an artificially small consideration set where you need every conversation or every employer to work out because you don't have enough backups to give you that confidence, the laissez-faire attitude that The Bachelor can take into being on the show called The Bachelor. Hey, if this date doesn't work out, it's all good. There's 24 or more. Exactly right. (laughs) Exactly right. Yet I see very smart people go into their job searches under that I'm one of 25 assumption over and over and over again. And after you do that enough times, you you get used to people treating you poorly and ignoring you. That takes a toll on your confidence. And once you start emitting that desperation, your prospects for success diminish greatly. Okay. So then we need a, a larger set, not just, hey, a four or five, you know, I, like, hey, I know four or five consulting firms or insurance agencies. So that's it but rather many more. And so you say there's a structured brainstorming approach to build that list way out. What is it? The technique is called the LAMP list. So LAMP, L-A-M-P. I'm a former strategy consultant, so there's acronyms for lots of steps here. The L is for the list of employers itself. The first step of the LAMP list making process, which in total takes 70 minutes, is to come up with a list of 40 employers in 40 minutes. That's a little bit overwhelming. So we split that into four different 10-minute chunks, four different brainstorming methods, 10 minutes each. Once we have that consideration set, then we find three pieces of data, the AM and P in LAMP, for advocacy, motivation, and postings that are easy to find and predictive of success. And that takes the, the balance of that, the, the remaining 30 minutes of the 70-minute process. Once we have that raw data in there, we can sort the list so that we can identify our top six based on data. We'll tweak that top six for our own intuition. Once we have that top six identified, we initiate outreach to that top six simultaneously so that we are the bachelor in our own job search where we're juggling multiple employers off of each other and we don't become overly invested in any single one. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Steve, you have boiled this down to a mechanized science. This is impressive. So, so let's dig into a bit of detail here. So yeah, let, let's say the brainstorming here. I want to get 40 employers listed in 40 minutes. How do I go do that? I recommend four different brainstorming methods. So the first is the brain dump, the dream employer method, I call it. So all of those employers you thought, I need to do a job search, here are the ones I want to obsess over. I want to voluntarily become fixated on them like one of 25 contestants obsesses over The Bachelor. Write those down. Get them out of your head onto paper because they're going to probably be in your top six, but we need to brainstorm beyond them now. So dream employer method. If you can come up with a name for what those employers have in common, you can Google it. A list of strategy consulting firms, list of companies headquartered in Lincoln, Nebraska. Whatever kind of drove you to come up with that, that handful, a lot of people, I'll give them a, a half, 30 seconds to a minute to do this live in my talks. They'll come up with anywhere between two or three and on the low end and 10 to 15 on the high end. So some people are already a quarter of the way there in that first minute. But then we can use Google to extrapolate beyond that. The second method is the alumni method or the advocacy method. So find a database of people who share a background with you, whether it's a school you recently, you most recently attended or maybe the, the transitioning veteran community if you're coming out of the military, and see where people like you are now currently employed to get brainstorm these employers a different way. So a database like, like your school alumni database or, or LinkedIn grouping or, of sorts? Absolutely. Both of those. Okay. The third is the kind of intuitive one, the indeed.com method, the posting method. So let's look up postings where they're looking for people just like you. The catch is we're not going to apply to these postings because those are black holes. We're going to use those to identify employers that are expecting to hear from you like people like you right now. It's a, just a different way to brainstorm employers that you may not have come up with using the other two methods. And the fourth and final one is the trend method. So read for fun for 10 minutes. Whatever kind of professional adjacent reading that you do, do that. But anytime you come across an organization doing interesting work, recognize that that's a potential employer and you found it doing something you do organically. Learning for free in your spare time, I want to find a way to get you paid for that. So those are the four different methods to come up with 40 employers or more in 40 minutes. Okay. And I guess what's interesting is as you dig in, I could see... I could see them multiplying a few ways. Like sometimes I like to play with uh, NAICS codes, the North American Industry Classification System. If, if you have access to a database like, well, back in the day, it was one source business browser, but I think maybe Hoover's is the, uh, where it's at these days, perhaps. So you can sort of enter in what the code and then see others, or you go to LinkedIn and, and see you look at one person who's in a role at a firm and go figure the people also looked at also tend to be people who are, are in other firms. So can you tell us what are some of your other favorite ways that just multiply? Hey, I, I have five and I Googled, I looked at a database. Are, are there any particular tactics that are just like, this is stupid easy to, to get a big list fast? My favorite is a tool called Crunchbase. It's actually an investor's website, oh, yeah. but it's brilliant at helping job seekers brainstorm employers quickly all for free. So you have to accept that they'll only show you the first five results of whatever search you do. But the first five results, you can just find an industry name, pick that one company that you know you really want to work for, look it up in Crunchbase. It'll give you a handful of industry names for it. Are you interested in well uh, Betterment because it's uh, impact investing or because it's a fintech company, for example? Click on whichever industry label you find most compelling and then narrow it down to just fintech companies based in California. 
if you know you mm-hmm. need to stay on the West Coast. So you can use three filters for free, and it will sh- keep showing you the first five results for free over and over and over again if you slightly change your, your search terms. But what I love about this approach is it gives you a very Tinder-like interface. It keeps suggesting employers to you, as many of which you've never heard of, but it gives you this nice one-sentence description where they're based. And just if you see something you like, you swipe right, put it in your L column. If you see something you don't like, you swipe left, and you never think about it again. But I love how free and elegant and practical and applied that Crunchbase can make the act of brainstorming employers. Oh, Crunchbase is good. And that also gets me thinking about, you know, just like the Fortune or Global 500 or 1000 list for kind of the biggies or, or the Inc. 5000 list for high growth. And yeah, so, so I, I hear you. So what previously sounded like a maybe too good to be true, you know, 40 employers in 40 minutes now sounds kind of easy. So thank you. <laughs> Pleasure. So, okay. So we, we've got our list. What next? Okay. So we found our three pieces of data. We can now, once we found our three pieces of data, that a key tenet of the LAMP list is the assembly line approach. Let's do the same task over and over and over again in rapid succession to get some efficiency on it. So let's figure out at which of these employers do you have alumni from your most recent organization, be it the military or be it your most recent school. Just a simple yes or no. The next column is your own motivation. How motivated are you to to reach out to these employers knowing that the majority of people you reach out to are going to ignore you? Do you have the the desire to keep trying though? And then the posting column, let's see how relevant their current job postings are to see how urgent each individual employer out of your 40 or more is. Now we can put them into a a logical order of attack. Motivation, we we sort by first, then by postings, then by alumni. And we see these are what the data says our top six should be. Now we use our mm-hmm. intuition. Do we want to switch that top six around? If so, we can fudge the results a little bit. I want people to be anchored by data, not intuition. Once they're anchored by data, then they can override with intuition to their heart's content. Mm-hmm. Then once we've got that top six, then it's time to identify promising looking contacts and initiate our outreach. Okay. And how do I do that? Uh, a great question. So for each of these top six employers, now we can drill down a little bit. I have a hierarchy for how to choose promising looking contacts. First and foremost, you've got to target people who are functionally relevant, people who have the job you want right now or want one day, ideally one to two levels above you. But when I wrote the book initially back in 2012, I recommended kind of that alumni connection over functional relevance. But now reach out to people who have the job you want. It's, this process is built around doing informational meetings efficiently. And it's really hard to do a good informational meeting with someone whose job you don't really care about and you don't really want to learn more about. (laughs) So you've got to start with that functional relevance piece. Then if you have lots of options, choose an alum. If you still have lots of options, choose someone one to two levels above where you would start. If you still have lots of options, choose somebody who's been promoted while at that company because they've got more social capital to spend on behalf of a job seeker. And when you say lots of options, am I just going to LinkedIn to see the the lineup of of human faces and names? Is that where I'm going? Yes, absolutely. Okay. LinkedIn is a great tool for this if you are savvy enough to access their all filters search. So my, mm-hmm. my the best way to get to it is just click on that top box in LinkedIn. Don't type anything in, just hit enter. That'll bring up a, a ribbon at the top that where it asks you to fill in some filters. If you go all the way to the right of the screen, it says all filters. Hit that. That will bring up the advanced search or the custom search. Uh, where you can just plug in, okay, I want people at this company currently. Okay, let me add my school in next. Let me add a functional keyword into the job title section. And you can narrow down your results that way iteratively. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 
we've got uh, some folks and we've prioritized by uh, a role function similar to what we're we're after and and then and they become promising if we have some kind of a connection like or a commonality alumni or or, or something going on and so what happens now i've got um i've got the companies i've got people at those companies and what do i do uh, it's time to unleash the fury. So right. we are going to figure out how to get in touch with these people. So I have a hierarchy for finding the most effective way for getting in touch with each of these people. LinkedIn groups, to me, are the best kept secret in the job search. If you share a LinkedIn group with someone, which people often do with their schools that they've attended, you can message them directly. You don't have to pay for in-mail. You don't have to, to uh, even check your alumni database in a lot of cases. So LinkedIn groups is the best option if you have it available to you. And there's tools out there that will help you find email addresses directly uh, for certain companies as well. Like hunter.io or what are those tools? I love Hunter. Yeah, I'm a big okay. fan of Hunter. It's the best combination of power and replicability, meaning you can use it 50 times free per month. And I'm a big fan of free in the job search. I think it's kind of cool to ask job seekers to pay money in order to make money. So once we've got our contacts identified, the contact information found, it's time to unleash the fury, send one email to our favorite contact, each of our top six employers. Mm -hmm. and, and just before we get into the content of the email, you say a hierarchy of ways to contact them. So yep. are, are you saying uh, LinkedIn message versus email versus What's the alternative and how do we choose? LinkedIn groups are my favorite uh, because you lead with your affinity group. You don't even have to provide a subject line for that LinkedIn message. LinkedIn provides it for you. This is different than a LinkedIn invitation to connect. While that is easy because all you have to do is just invite to connect, even if you customize it, what I find happens too frequently is your desired contact will accept your connection request but never reply to you. So I like oh, yeah. that better I've as a done backup. It to people. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so LinkedIn group connections, I like that it it's it's a little bit more thoughtful than a generic LinkedIn invitation to connect. And plus, I think you disproportionately hear back from the helpful kind of contact when you contact them through LinkedIn groups. And that's mm -hmm. a very important distinction that we'll talk about a little bit later. It's not about getting anybody to respond. It's about getting the right kind of person to respond because only a subset of the population at large is actually going to be helpful in your search. Okay, so we might ha do an, uh, an email via, that we discovered via Hunter.io or another tool. We might do a LinkedIn message, which we can pull off via knowing about them or having a, a mutual group connection. And, and I guess, by the way, go ahead and join some groups before, no, <laughs> to, yeah. to get more of those. That's that's Dude. easy and click, click, boom, done. Um, and so then what goes into the content of this message? Oh, this is such um. This, this took a long time, like creating this process. It was a recipe that I had to cook myself. It was this whole process. The two-hour job search was developed during the 2008 financial crisis when I, I had a particularly devastated student who lost her offer and had the ability to follow instructions, but not the ability to curate tips. And so that set me off, like, how do I create mm. this recipe for exact steps for sourcing your own interviews? Because that's where people seem to struggle the most. So we get to this, the lamp list is great. People are, you know, love that. They love having a top six. They, love, they know how to find contacts, but what do we write them? And that was where I got stuck for a good long while. The aha moment I had was when I read Dan Ariely's Predictably Irrational. He's my colleague at Fuqua, wrote a wonderful book. He's a behavioral economist. Uh, read all of his books. They're, they're great. But he had a particular study where he found that you were just as likely to get a stranger's help helping you move a couch when you offer them nothing as when you offer them $50. But if you offer them $5, you're far less likely to get their help. So he found that he calls this switching from social norms to market norms. When you offer nothing, you have this ambient success rate. When you offer a token, any sort of compensation, immediately your success rate drops off until you offer like a market rate 
for that mm-hmm. work. It, it's not about altruism plus $5. It stops being about altruism altogether. So what clicked for me is that my whole life, I've been told to sell myself. But in reality, the people who help you get jobs, especially in down markets like the 2008 financial crisis and the one we're experiencing right now, are never really going to get anything out of it. They're not going to get paid $50 for it. So it's better just to stick to asking for favors. And that's a very different email than what people are traditionally told to write when job searching. So instead of selling yourself, ask for favors. It's a much simpler email to write. And once you kind of Mm -hmm. coalesce around that concept, you can really optimize this email to get in touch the right segment of the market in terms of people who are going to help you uh, find jobs. Yeah. And, and I think it's more appealing as a recipient uh, in terms of like, oh, you, you think you're really something special. Okay. <laughs> hey, stranger, let me tell you about why I'm so awesome. Like, that's really weird. Uh, nobody does that. Why is that okay in the job <laughs> Okay. So that's the positioning is like, we're asking for a favor as opposed to saying, here's how amazing I am. <laughs> and, and so you've laid, you say there is a six point email. Exactly. Lay it on us. What are we dealing with here? The six-point email. So first, there are six points that make it what it is. I'm terrible at naming things, as I mentioned. But each of these points is designed to remove a reason why a helpful contact, a a particular type of contact that I call a booster, uh, the one who is predisposed to respond to requests for favors from job seekers, each point is designed to remove a reason why they might not respond. So the six points are keep your email short, so under 75 words in the body, put your connection to them early in the email, Ask a question rather than making your ask in the form of a statement. Like with a question mark. Uh, Right. Yeah. Uh, Rather than a period. Define your interest both specifically and more broadly. So give them a genre of the type of company you're trying to learn more about or the type of role you're trying to learn more about. Make at least half of the word count about them rather than you. Ask for advice and insight. Don't ask for job leads. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so... We even say make half of it. Okay, so seventy-five words <laughs> or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to cover how we know them, and then half is about them. So, give us an example. So, nope, sure. I mean, every word's really counting here. Uh, let's hear it. <laughs> uh, so, I might reach out to a product manager at Waymo. So, my subject line would be something like your product management experience at Waymo. What I like about this is them focused rather than me job seeker focused mm-hmm. and they also don't know if it's a job seeker email or is it from an uh an executive recruiter looking was, I was to, gonna say, it could be from it, a headhunter it, yeah. it could go both <laughs> ways so it increases our open rate i'm a fellow duke mba i was wondering if you do you have some time to tell me about your product management experience at waymo your insights would be greatly appreciated because i'm trying to learn more about product management in the autonomous vehicle space that's it mm-hmm Okay, so so we're not asking for a, a, a time, a conversation, a fifteen minute. We're just like, you say, do you have some time? Yep. Keep it open ended. Most people mm-hmm. will offer you a half an hour, but it's really up to their discretion how much time they want to give to you. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what, what's kind of comfortable. What I kind of like about that is um, sometimes I really do have like ten minutes. Like it's like, hey, you know mm-hmm. what? Uh, between this thing and that thing, uh, a ten minute call would actually probably be perfect. And maybe I could go for a little walk on my treadmill or outside. Uh, that would just, and I could mm-hmm. feel good about myself because I'm being helpful and, uh, and I'm getting some mix and some variety in my day. So yeah, if you let, versus if you pitch a specific time or amount of time, then I, it's more, it's more binary. It's like, I'm saying, uh, no, I cannot do what you've asked mm-hmm. for. And I feel like a cheap, uh, stingy jerk face. <laughs> if I say I can give you eight minutes <laughs> at one forty-two, uh, you know, it's like, what do you ask for 30? Uh, but you'd rather have those eight minutes than, than zero minutes if I've got them for you. Correct. I think it's even more practical than that. 
I define, a, I think there are three segments of contact that people will encounter in their job search. There are boosters who are, who are the, our target audience, but there's also a kind of person who never responds under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. I call them curmudgeons. They're awful people. No. They hate babies. Or they're delightful people who just don't want to help you job search or can't right now. They're not the worst segment. The worst segment is a group I call obligates. Obligates want to appear to be helpful, but they don't actually want to be helpful. So they make up reasons why they can't, oh, oh they'll mm-hmm. respond slowly. And sometimes they won't respond at all. They'll make you follow up. Or they'll set up a meeting with you, but then cancel at the last minute. They're dangerous because they give you a negative return on effort, whereas curmudgeons give you a zero return on effort. Mm -hmm. They ignore you. They don't lead you on. I call them obligates because they are motivated by a sense of obligation. They've gotten help in the past. They want to do just enough to save face and and simulate paying it forward without incurring the, the inconvenience of doing so. But boosters are really our target audience. And I would put them at about 10 to 20% of the population. So... If you were to, and remember, I said we were going to reach out to six people at once, or six, one person at each of six companies once. If we do that, do we offer them each different times? Because oh, that's sure, a lot yeah. of calendar surgery we've got to do. Or do we offer them all the same time, oh, and then occasionally we'll get double booked and we have to <laughs> yeah. flake on somebody? Yeah. So with a 10 to 20% response rate to the six-point email, I want to see who's actually going to, who's a booster, who's going to engage with me. And I define boosters as being people who respond to six-point emails within three business days. I think any longer, they know they're probably not being that helpful. Three business days is kind of that sweet spot. Once they respond within three business days, then we'll offer them a bunch of time, but we know they're probably boosters. So they're worth that calendar surgery. Before that point, though, we're doing a lot of intense calendar work for people who are most likely going to ignore us or lead us on. Yeah. Okay. Understood. And then how do we go about uh, tracking and or following up and or is it okay to reach out to, I don't know, 50 project managers at Microsoft (laughs) or uh, how do we Uh, think about these games of the numbers and the tracking and the follow-up? That's the million dollar question. What are you done with these firms? I recommend going until you find one true booster, a booster who you say, if you were me, is there anything else you'd be doing to maximize my chance of getting an interview with your company. If they say, no, you're good. You're probably good. If they say, oh, just keep talking to people. I don't know. Maybe that means they're probably an obligate Mm -hmm. who just didn't find a nice way out of this relationship with you. So we need to start back over to find a true booster. But once you have a true booster who can act as your eyes and ears, your triage agent within that employer to help plug you into the right spots to get interviews, we're done. If they say we can move on, then okay. Uh, Number one on our list is checked off. Let's move down to number seven from our original lamp list because we have time for a new company to promote into our mm-hmm. top six. And we just kind of go into a management mode for the companies that we've already successfully found boosters at. Okay. And, and so then when we send, let's say we send a note to a booster, you say three business days is about what you expect. If we get no response, do we follow up or not so much? Yes. So I recommend a process called the 3B7 routine for your actual outreach within a company. So basically it's called temporal construal theory. We do higher order thinking in advance of a decision than we do in the heat of the moment of making that decision. So when we send the email, we're thinking very clearly. After we've been ignored by someone for a week or two, we're not thinking Mm -hmm. as clearly about when to follow up or whether to follow up. Oh, this will be awkward. I'll just be annoying them. When we send the email, we can be ice cold. Set a reminder for three business days later. That reminder will tell us, are they a booster or not? Have we heard from them yet or not? If not, let's try a second person in parallel. Let's hedge our bets. We, if we don't hear within three business days, it's unlikely we're going to hear at all. So let's hedge our bets because they're probably not a booster. Let's try a second person so that we don't wait around another week to get ignored by somebody before taking okay. further action. Now, the seven business day reminder, that's the signal to follow up with unresponsive contacts just to protect your own brand. 
to show that you care enough about this opportunity to follow up once and only once with each person that you reach out to if they're unresponsive. Okay. So the three days is, okay, talking to someone else. And then the seven is going back to that first person saying, hey, okay. And then any special uh, verbiage you'd put in that follow-up email? I used to recommend kind of forwarding the original email and saying, I'm just following up on my email from last week. I want to know if now is a better time to talk. Now I've changed my tune on this. I recommend sending the exact same email, but through a different channel. So same email, I'll just hmm. assume they missed it. But if the first attempt went to them through a LinkedIn group, my, my second attempt would go through a finding their direct email address on Hunter. If okay. my first attempt went to them through their work address on Hunter, my backup would be through a, a customized LinkedIn invitation to connect. So I would same email, different channel. Next one down on that hierarchy that I teach. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and then the, I like that because even if they see, saw both of them, it, it's totally reasonable. It's just sort of like, oh, man, he probably thought he got the wrong one. So, okay. So, he tried something else. That's cool. <laughs> Chance for them to save face. Certainly. Okay. And, and so, then let's say okay, they say, yes, Steve, happy to chat next Thursday at uh, 10 a.m. You say, cool, thanks so much. Uh, what are some of the critical things you want to cover in that conversation? Again, I'm, I'm very anti-sales. Most people are, it's just an outdated way of thinking of this, this kind of constant sell yourself mode. What we need to do is take this stranger on a journey. Our goal for this conversation is to turn this complete stranger to an ally over the course of a half an hour conversation. So the journey that I recommend, first, we need to establish likability. So that's where small talk will always kick these things off. Small talk, doing effective small talk is more about listening well than speaking well. So interested is interesting is just a wonderful phrase. The easiest way to get someone to be interested in you is to take a genuine interest in them. So I have a three-question algorithm that I take people. I recommend for people doing informationals for small talk to get off to the right start because I'm I'm not like naturally charming person. <laughs> oh come on, Steve! <laughs> but small talk at the beginning of informationals is largely pretty predictable, so you can you can manage it kind of uh, very methodically. So once we've established some likability with good small talk, letting them talk about themselves, like demonstrating that we're listening to what they're saying, then we, we need to prime creativity. So they li- they're kind of liking us. We're listening to them. If we ask them for advice right away, they're going to give it. They're not really primed to think creatively yet. They're going to give us pretty obvious stuff. So we want to prime creativity first by asking them why they're so good at their job. Portray them as an expert in their field. This this gets us into what I call the tiara framework. So that kind of automates this journey. So tiara, the first half of tiara is trends and insights. T and I. These are questions like what trends are most impacting your industry right now. How has business changed most since you started? Insights are a little more personal instead of macro in scope. So what surprises you most about this job? Nobody wants to give you a bad answer to why are you so good at your job? So this Mm -hmm. is going to prime them to think creatively. I'm actually average mediocre, Steve. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Nobody wants to do that. They're actually going to engage. They're going to think like, yeah, that's a great question. Why am Mm -hmm. I so awesome at my job Mm -hmm. to be on, on brand here? But then once we prime them to think creatively, then we can move them toward, toward training them more as a mentor with uh, advice questions is the first A in Tiara. Mm-hmm. So if you were me, what would you be doing right now to best prepare for a career in this field? Make them the hero in your story. That's what brings us to the pivot question of the Tiara framework. R is for resources. What resources do you recommend I look into next? Ideally, we're looking for a person here, but to ask them who you should speak to next is very threatening. It's very likely That's that forward, you're going to yeah. lose you're going to make your contact lose face. Most people would not give you a person's name without asking that person if it was okay to do so first. Share their name, I mean. So mm-hmm. we'll keep it vague. What resources do you recommend I look into next? If they give us a name, great. The internal referral is our mm-hmm. goal for doing this informational right. meeting. 
process. Or they could, you know, give you a, a non-name resource like, oh, go to caseinterview.com right. for your strategy consulting needs. It's like, okay, I will. Thanks. Most often they'll say, what sort of resources are you looking for? That's their way of signaling that they're not ready to give you a person's name yet. So what's the most mm-hmm. important 10 minutes of research that you do in this field to stay current? What's the, what industry newsletter do you find most helpful? Things that will actually make you smarter at this job that you want. And then we'll wrap up with any time remaining with assignment questions. Basically, what projects do you do if you have this job? so that you can represent yourself more knowledgeably when people ask you, why do you want this job? Mm-hmm. So that's the journey we'll take people on to turn strangers into, into advocates over the course of a single half an hour conversation. Okay. So in that conversation, we've, we've learned some things and they, they've gotten creative and, and provided resources and maybe names. And so, so we're not selling ourselves and we're learning good stuff. I, I, I guess... What's sort of the dream outcome from these conversations? Like, do they say, well, you sound amazing, Steve, and I'm going to make sure to put your resume to my boss right away? Or, or, or like, what do we really want to happen most at this stage? We want this person to tell us what to do next. We want them to mm-hmm. literally be our mentor because it's different at every company, what the correct process is. For some, it will be, you've got to talk to this person next. Or for others, it'll be, you have to apply online, but use my name, put this into your cover letter to let them know that we had an interaction. You are merely guessing from the outside of what the right process is at each individual company. What you want is eyes and ears within that organization telling you what to do. And when they tell you what to do, that's an easy way to build likability with them. Like it's great when people when people follow the advice that you give them and report back the results, which makes you more willing to advocate for this person further in the future. So our dream outcome is to find out who we need to speak to next. But that isn't always the right next step. We just want somebody inside that company to tell us what to do to maximize our chances. We want them to see our progress as a reflection of their ability to give good advice. Okay. And so then I guess that sounds like there's a follow-up then in terms of like, hey, thanks so much for chatting with me. I did exactly what you told me to do. Uh, Fingers crossed or, or whatever. Yes. So if they don't offer a, a referral, I, I wouldn't expect it in most in any more than 10% of cases. I would send them a thank you note the next night with no ask. To me, the thank you note closes the transaction on our initial request for insight and advice. But then I'd set myself a reminder for a week later. And when that reminder pops up, well, I, I, I would want to make sure I close my informationals by saying, wow, you've given me a lot to think about. I'm going to take the weekend to reflect. Is it okay if I reach back out to you with any further questions? They'll say yes. You send your thank you note that night or the next day. And then a week, you set a reminder for a week later when that reminder pops up, then I would send an email like this. Thank you so much for your time last week. Upon further reflection, this is definitely something I'd like to pursue further. How would you go about doing that if you were me? For example, can you recommend someone I should speak to next? So that's when you can make that ask explicitly over email where it's less threatening. A person has time to check with their contacts to see who's open to talking to a job seeker. But if you don't get a a referral at this point, you're probably not going to get a referral. It's time to start over and find uh, try somebody else. So everything's systemized. Okay. Somebody else in in the organization or in the organization or both? Okay. Same organization. All right. Well, so let's say I like the analogy to the lobster traps that are cages there because sure enough, there, there's activity in motion uh, that doesn't require you, uh, which is cool as, as you have these exchanges and conversations. So let's say that ultimately you you do the things they tell you to do, uh, whether that's the online application or talking to so-and-so, and then you have an interview and you pro tips there. Once you get to the interview, that's that's great. There are other books that help you. So for me, the two-hour job search really zooms in on that squishy middle of the job search, that that valley between I know what I want to do and I know what to do once I get in that interview. The two-hour job search helps you get into that first interview. But I think the same rules apply when you've got that interview. Recognize that it 
companies don't hire people, people hire people. So it's really about giving them a compelling story. Don't go in there selling yourself right away. Instead, they'll probably start with, tell me about yourself. Like, Give them a story that is authentic to you, that demonstrates like why, what is the rationale for me being in this room here today? Here's why I want to work for your company. Here's some personal anecdotes. Let me give you some appropriate personal disclosures about things that genuinely motivate me and tell them about why it's a win-win for you as well. And then once they start asking you for examples of times where you led a team, then you can start getting into sales mode. But I think a common mistake is people just can't get that sell yourself mantra out of their heads that they've been had drilled into them from a very, very young age, even though it's it's applicability has has long been outlived mm-hmm. um, by modern changes. We're all such skeptical consumers now. When we sense a sales pitch, our guards go up. But success in this process means systematically bringing people's guards down. Yeah. Okay. Well, well so then tell me, were, were there any other steps or key things that we should have covered? I mean, maybe, maybe there's, talk about the middle. Is there something after cultivating boosters and before getting the interview that we should be doing? Yes. So after you've done this informational, you've you've sent your thank you note, you check back in, maybe they give you a referral, maybe they don't. Then we switch to the harvest cycle. So the harvest cycle is a big uh, process flow diagram for my fellow engineers out there. Basically, it's a big if-then map. It's a big uh, diagram. So based on where you are in that diagram, that will tell you what step you need to take. So in most cases, it will be, okay, You've sent. they don't have a referral for you. Let's check back in next month. And there's a very systemized way of like, here's what that first update will look like. Recap the best piece of advice they gave you during your original call. Give them a specific example of how you benefited from that advice and ask for additional advice. If they have additional advice, you repeat this in your email update next month. If they don't have additional advice, your subsequent monthly check-ins would just be more personal in nature. But the idea is that I call it the harvest cycle because you're planting a lot of seeds initially to get these initial phone calls. And then people start shopping you out to their friends. And you have more people that you need to check back in with after after some time has passed. It's really hard to walk away from contacts that you've done informationals with unless you've got other conversations on the books. So we need these seeds to have some time to take root and grow. Uh, it's not quite. It's not immediately time to harvest all of them. So that's part of the reason why I want to systemize the follow up on process for these informationals. It's not just about getting the informational. It's about reaping the rewards of that informational systematically over time. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Well, Steve, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I think the the one thing I, I really want to get across is that there's a lot of bad information out there about job searching. I think I think people underestimate the importance of retraining your support network because your support network, I see people who are often asked, how is your job search going? And they'll quantify it in ways that don't correlate with success, mainly in how many hours they spent looking for jobs and how many resumes they dropped online to online job postings. Neither of those things correlate with success. The one thing that does is the number of informational meetings you've done, how many people are out there that know of you and like you. But it takes time. You need to retrain your support network to get them to stop seeing it in terms of how many resumes did you throw online to into the black hole to how many conversations did you set up? How many new people did you meet that have the job you want one day? I, I think that's just a critical piece that is often goes unnoticed. Well, talking about numbers and correlations, I mean, you've been tracking this very well with your, hey, 10 to 20%, you can expect to be boosters and to reply and da, da, da. Do you have any sense for, I imagine there's quite a range, but uh, ballpark figure in terms of number of boosting conversations? per interview or offer? 
I would say when people follow the two-hour job search, exactly as designed, it is a recipe. So when it, the, the recipe is followed exactly, people do not get past number 10 on their lamp list. Oh. So while we brainstorm 40 employers, realistically, you're only going to ever be doing outreach to about 25% of that list. So three quarters of that list is cannon fodder just to get you up to 40 and get you out of that desper- artificial desperation mindset. So you're saying that folks generally land a job at their top 10 like most of the time? No, that is a great question. They will land a job by the time they get to number 10, but life is strange. Contacts that your boosters have connections at different companies that weren't even on your radar initially because you don't have the same visibility Mm -hmm. into that profession as the people you're talking to do. Uh, You also don't have the same network as the people you're talking to do. So while I say you'll be done by the time you hit number 10, it won't always be with one of those 10 organizations. It could be with an organization that one of the people you spoke to at one of those top 10 referred you to that you otherwise hadn't heard of before. Maybe they had a friend at a different company who was looking to fill a role. Maybe they heard of a startup that you hadn't heard of yet that was doing similar work. But the idea is by the time you get to number 10, you've got at least 10 boosters out there looking on your behalf in your job search, giving you suggestions, pointing you to new people to speak to, new companies to have on your radar. There's just enough eyes and ears out there that something tends to happen and come through for you by the time you get to number 10. And and so, well, okay, well, if it's by the time we get to the 10th company, do you also have a sense for by the time we have X number of contacts or, or boosting conversations? I wish it were that simple. No, because there will be obligates who agree to do informational meetings gotcha. with you. That's part of the challenge here. Not everybody who agrees to speak with you is a booster automatically. And that's a common error I'll see people do make when they're doing the two-hour job search. Before you get your first booster, you can often confuse obligates for boosters. They seem like they're sympathetic, but they don't really want to be there. Mm-hmm. They're saying goodbye and pulling away at a certain point. Once you get your first booster and you see how fiercely they advocate for you and how they see your progress as, as their own success you know how to tell a booster from not obligate and you don't make that mistake anymore. But getting people to hang in there long enough and not fall for a fake booster in the form of an obligate, I think that's an intricacy that people will learn after they get a little bit into it. Once I, I find once people do three TR framework informationals using the two-hour job search, they get the rhythms of the whole informational meeting process. They become comfortably bored by it. It's fun to talk to smart people and learn from them. Mm-hmm. But there's no real set number of how many informationals it'll take at a particular company to find your booster. Sometimes people get lucky and find it in the first one. Sometimes they find people I call super boosters who will help you not just at their company, but at multiple other companies. But other times it'll take you five or six conversations before you find that person that's really willing to stick their neck out for you. Okay. And I guess this what's interesting is this is the most structured, methodical, get a job program. I've ever encountered. So well well done. <laughs> Thank you. And it strikes me as massively efficient. You, you told a success story for about a, a month and a half is is what one person saw. And, and it sounds like, uh, what will you tell me? What, what's the time range that you're encountering? I've had people who've started the two-hour job search on a Monday and landed an offer by Friday of the same All right, week. Four days. That there is not normal. <laughs> that is not normal, however. So don't expect that. What I see during non-COVID times, the most typical it would be about a month or two months. Mm-hmm. During COVID times, it's it's a little bit longer. There's just fewer. And as you get more experienced in your career, this process is the same exact one I would recommend to someone with 30 years of experience as someone with zero years of experience. But if you have 30 years of experience and you're looking for that, that C-suite job, there aren't that many of those out there. It's going to be a longer mm-hmm. search. So, uh, so during COVID, I, I would expect it to be more in the two to three to four month range even 
But during better economies, it's usually over by one to two months. Okay, thank you. And so I suppose this could be a FUD critique. Your system seems potentially so efficient. I wonder if there's a higher risk of folks landing a job that they don't love. <laughs> and how do we prevent that from happening? Great question. If people don't follow the recipe, what I see people do sometimes is they'll start networking with backup companies to get practice. Okay. But that's the problem. These backup companies are so flattered to hear from a job seeker who's organized, who's like asking good questions and building relationships that they'll fast track you and they'll give you an offer very quickly, even before you've start, reached out to your dream employer. And now you're forked. Like, do you have the guts to turn down this good offer without even knowing where you stand with your dream employers? So that's why when we sort the lamp list, motivation absolutely has to go first. How fired up are you to reach out to people at this company, even if the first few people ignore you? Mm -hmm. That absolutely has to be your first criteria when sorting your lamp list, which ensures that people go after their favorite companies first. I'd rather they fumble over an awkward informational with their dream employer and then rededicate themselves to doing better the next time than start with backups. Because too often, I see people start with backups and unfortunately achieve success too quickly. Okay. So uh, well, I guess it just boils down to your motivation needs to be well thought out and well informed, and then, then you're going to land somewhere good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Well, well, now can you, we hear about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring. I open the two-hour job search with this wonderful quote by Aldous Huxley, technological progress has merely provided us with more efficient means for going backwards. I think people hear technology and they think forwards. They see online job postings and they think better. And in reality, it's just made the search harder. And it's important to take a step back and realize that online job postings feel like the most efficient way to be successful, but they, they cause a lot of pain. Building relationships, it's not a skill that people have been trained for, but it leads to a much more nourishing and better quality experience for your job search. Okay. And now can you share a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I already told you about Dan Ariely's couch experiment. That's, that's my all-time mm -hmm. favorite. But Brown, Cetron, and Topa did this great study at the New York Fed a few years ago where they found that for each one person who was hired through an online job posting application, 12 were hired through internal referrals. So every time you <laughs> apply online, not only are you hoping you're one of the handful out of the hundreds who apply that they choose to interview, you're also hoping it's the one out of 13 jobs that goes to the random online applicant instead of somebody that somebody already knows. Oh, wow. So I'm a chemical engineer by training. I, like I'm bred for awkwardness. Wow. But when faced with those odds, you've got to own up to the fact that like you can't outrun that phenomena. You can't outapply that phenomena. You've got to get comfortable with turning strangers into advocates. It's a skill set you've never been trained for before. So don't feel embarrassed. I hope this does become standard training at the high school level, let alone the college level in the near future. But we're not there yet. Uh, so it is up to everybody to really embrace that skill set proactively. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a favorite book? I've mentioned a few times I'm kind of an awkward dude, chemical engineer again. Uh, that's, that's, my, that's my wheelhouse. But it makes me think about these things a lot more than other pe people to whom it would come naturally. So my favorite book, uh, there's a book called Awkward by Tai Tashiro. Have you heard of the book uh, Quiet by Susan Cain? Mm -hmm. The Quiet is for introverts. Tai's book Awkward is for awkward people, of which I'm a proud member of the Awkward Nation. Uh, so if you've ever felt like, I don't get how people work, or this is really weird for me to interact with strangers, give that book a read. I wish I had had it when I was 12. It would have saved me from a lot of pain. <laughs> okay. And how about a favorite tool? Something you use to be awesome at your job? I'm a big believer in time blocking. So if something's important to you, block time in your calendar for it. If this also ties in with the two-hour job search. Calendar reminders are a lot harder to miss than email reminders are because there's time blocked for them. You have an alert that you have to clear or postpone. So if something's important to you, 
block a period of time in your calendar day for it. I've, I, that saved me so many times. I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit? 80-20 rule. Uh, just not trying to be perfect slowly, be good enough quickly over and over and over again. Iterate towards your results. Don't, but the quest for perfection, it's just not, an unre- it's not a realistic expectation in the modern world. You've got to figure out where you can be good enough instead of perfect. It's a lot faster. Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? People quote it back to you again and again? Uh, the Bachelor. Uh, the Bachelor analogy mm-hmm. comes back to me over and over and over again. So that would be the one that I would refer to. Better to be the Bachelor in your own job search than one of 25 Bachelorettes over and over again. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I would point them to the twohourjobsearch.com. That's my website for my book, both the two-hour job search and my upcoming book called The Job Closer, which comes out April 2021. I'm also on Twitter at Dalton underscore Steve. And I've got a very active LinkedIn group called the two-hour job search Q&A forum, where I answer questions from readers and coaches alike. So if you find the two-hour job search approach compelling, please join us there. It's it's free to belong. And, and I'm on there every few nights or so. All right, Steve, this has been a treat. Uh, thank you and, and keep on doing the good work. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So much good stuff from Steve. Boy, I think the most transformational, I think for me personally, since I'm not really job hunting, I've, I've, I've got, I already have my dream job, talking to all of you and, and the associated opportunities and, 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 and revenue that that creates, which supports my family. Thank you again for listening and your support. Is that 75 word email, the six things you want to cover how you make it so easy to respond to, how you follow up on an alternative channel. I think that could just serve you so well in many outreach capacities. So I, I recommend it. I, I think it's, it's brilliant. And I hope you took that and more gems from Steve. Again, if there was a lot of stuff in there, like, whoa, I need that written down. I think the Gold Nuggets might help you out there. That's at awesomeatyourjob.com. Sign up for the Gold Nuggets. You can access the Gold Nugget from Steve, that summary write-up, as well as all of them ever. So enriching stuff. Tell me about your dream job landing searches that came about from this. I think there may well be a few, and I'm excited to hear about your victories and successes. Hope to catch you next time, and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.